Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is written by Jeffrey M. Wilkins, PM. Jeff is currently our Deputy Grand Master, so he will be Grand Master if elected this next time around, uh, which would be around October this year. And Jeff wrote this article for the Northern California Research Lodge, and I have his express permission to go ahead and record this. So here we go. Our Lodge as an Apiary. A survey of nature and the observation of her beautiful proportions first determined me to write this paper, where I will look at the lodge in comparison to the beehive. The purpose will be to see aspects of a beehive in nature correlated to our Masonic ritual in this and in other Masonic jurisdictions. I will then analyze leadership challenges that we face within our lodges with a correlation to the life cycle of a beehive. Looking at the ritual from Massachusetts, Kansas, and California, I find the monitor and historical lecture of the beehive to be consistent in the explanation of this Masonic hieroglyphic emblem. This emblem is a mythical symbol that contains truths that we can learn from and apply in our daily lives. In our Masonic textbooks, we learn that the beehive is an emblem of industry and recommends the practice of that virtue to all created beings. This includes everyone and everything, from the highest seraph in heaven to the lowest reptile in the dust. The beehive teaches us that we came into the world as rational and intelligent beings, and as such, we should ever be industrious, never sitting down contented while our fellow creatures near us are at want. This is especially true when it is within our power to relieve them without inconvenience to ourselves. We find this obligation to provide relief embedded in our ritual obligations, and it is a duty that we swear to adhere to. We also learn that man, in his infancy, is helpless and indigent. For days, months, and years, he is totally incapable of providing sustenance, guarding against attack, or providing shelter. It might have pleased the great creator to have made man independent of all other beings, but as dependence is one of the strongest bonds of society, mankind were made dependent on each other for protection and support. That dependence, along with the cement of brotherly love spread by our trowels, unites our society. Within that society of friends and brothers, they thereby enjoy better opportunities for fulfilling the duties of reciprocal love and friendship. Thus, we learn that man was formed for social and active life, the noblest part of the work of God. When man demeans himself by not endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, he should be deemed a drone in the hive of nature. That drone is considered to be a useless member of society and unworthy of our protection as masons. From the early Masonic catechisms by Noop, we learned that Masonic lodges were referred to as hives and that lodge meetings were called swarms. We also learned that a bee has in all ages and nations been the grand hieroglyphic of masonry because it excels all other living creatures in the contrivance and commodiousness of its habitation or comb. Nay, masonry and building seems to be the very essence or nature of the bee. Symbolism in Masonry 
As we view geometry as the great and noble science and most esteemed by masons of the seven liberal arts and sciences, we find the geometry of the hexagon the building block of a beehive. Bees could have worked as individuals, making custom cells to brood their young and produce honey. They could also have chosen squares or triangles to form their hive structure, as they can be fitted together in endless repetition. Instead, they form the hexagons because that shape uses less wax to cover the same area, and they better fit the shape of the developing larvae. This simple design allows for efficient strength. The wax cells are then hung back to back in panels, and those panels separated by aisles that are just wide enough for an adult bee to access them. Bees originally evolved in the tropics and had their combs hanging from tree limbs and exposed to the air. A couple million years ago, one branch of African honeybees took to living in hollows of trees. They used propolis or caulking resin gathered from tree buds to seal and weatherproof their hides. This ability to construct shelter from the vicissitudes and inclemencies of the seasons is an amazing development that allowed them to expand from the tropics into the rest of the habitable world where all four seasons are experienced. We see another similarity between the shape of the rope dome beehives and the labors of the bees constructing inside to the domed cathedrals of Europe where our ancient brethren labored. We see Shakespeare making the correlation between the beehive and the cathedrals when he refers to the bees in the hive as singing masons building roofs of gold. As masons, we wear a lambskin apron as an emblem of innocence and as the badge of a mason. Columella, the Roman writer on agriculture, knew bees and human nature. He writes almost 2,000 years ago, If thou wilt have the favor of thy bees, that they sting thee not, thou must avoid such things as offend them. Thou must not be unchaste or uncleanly, for impurity and sluttiness, themselves being most chaste and neat, they utterly abhor. We can see that there are more similarities between masons and bees with additional lessons that we can learn about living a pure life. It is in living a pure life, emblematical in our apron, that we learn about in our first lessons in masonry. Here we see that our ancient writer sees that same purity of life as essential for the bees as for us as masons. Brother George Washington had a couple of connections with bees and hives that I would like to identify here. The first is operative, as we know that Washington kept beehives at his residence in Mount Vernon in 1787. The second is speculative and appears on the apron that was presented to Washington by a fellow mason, the Marquis de Lafayette. This apron had been embroidered in colored silks by Madame Lafayette and presented to Brother Washington by Brother Lafayette in August of 1784. It is beautifully decorated with several Masonic emblems. On the flap of the apron are the letters K-S-H-T-W-S-S-T, arranged in the form of a circle familiar to royal archmasons. Within the circle is a beehive and would seemingly indicate the mark selected by the wearer. As this apron was made especially for Brother Washington as a gift from Brother Lafayette, it is evident that this emblem of the beehive, as an emblem of industry, was a proper mark for Washington to select. Apiary and real beehives related to our lodges. Bees are a fundamental contributor to all pollination. Natural pollinators, especially bees, pollinate 75% of the 250,000 flowering plants requiring pollination to reproduce. Cross-pollinations helps at least 30% of the world's crops and 90% of our wild plants to thrive. As we look at the development of modern society, masons have been at the forefront in its creations. Lodges have acted as society's pollinator for hundreds of years. Masonic leadership founded the United States of America, created its institutions and government, and provided the structure for the development of the rest of the world. Lodges have been in our towns and cities, providing that environment for the sharing of ideas and thoughts of men. 
In these lodges, we assemble and practice brotherly love, where we are united from every country, sect, and opinion. We meet on the level where brothers from all economic and social classes are able to meet and exchange ideas. Brothers of different religious, political, and social perspectives can assemble and discuss issues in a constructive way with an eye to society's betterment through our Masonic principles. This tenant provides for a safe environment for the exchange of knowledge and vision between men who would have remained at a perpetual distance. As we travel around the world, we have the ability to visit and to learn and share, returning to our native lands with new ideas and understanding, as the bees move from one flower to another flower sharing pollen. The results are similar in that the bees provide the spark that will result in a harvest of fruits and vegetables, while the new ideas and interactions between masons provide the spark to build and grow as individuals and as leaders within our communities and to better our society. As the Europeans first came to America, bees were brought along. The honey bee was not native to North America. These bees were identified by the Native American as the white man's fly, as described by Thomas Jefferson, and were an indicator of the approach of the settlement by the whites. So just as we settled and moved across the United States bringing bees with us to pollinate our fruits and vegetables, we also build our lodges within our communities to pollinate our society. As bees were the harbinger of civilization, so were masons as leaders and developers in the creation of the civilization in the West. Albert Einstein was quoted as saying of bees, if the bee disappeared off the surface of the globe, then man would have only four years of life left. No more bees, no more pollination, no more plants, no more animals, no more man. I see this as a similar warning to our society if lodges were to disappear from our communities. Without the solid cornerstone of leadership of masons dedicated to the betterment of ourselves and our society, it is hard to imagine what sort of world we would be left with. Sudden colony collapse or colony collapse disorder involves a hive where the bees just disappear. In the United States alone, more than 25% of the managed honeybee population has disappeared since the 1990s. It is not known where they go off to, but the hives end up devoid of bees. It was thought to be the work of mites that are a parasite of the bees or a virus that infects them. It was concluded that the true culprit was imidacloprid, an insecticide that the bees consumed with the pollen that they collected. Bees will communicate in such a manner that the entire hive looks less like a thousand individuals, but rather one fluid intelligence. A collapsing colony has no sense of this intelligence, and this directly impacts the signals transmitted among the bees to gather nectar or pollen and to coordinate the feeding of the young and the storing of the nectar to make honey. Back to the lodge as a beehive. When we look at a lodge collapse, we see a similar phenomenon. One sign of a lodge collapse is when the brethren stop coming and actively participating in the lodge leadership, programs, and activities. Either the leadership fails to motivate and provide the vision and programs to generate interest and participation, or what is provided fails to connect with the brethren and make them enthusiastic to be active. Once that level of participation falls below a certain level, a lodge finds itself having difficulty in filling the officer positions, manning committees, and exemplifying our ritual in a credible manner. From there, a lodge can spiral down to collapse without vision, mission, or purpose from the leadership and a membership willing to actively participate within the lodge or within the community. Other forms of external influence can manifest in the form of peaks and quarrels between the brothers that have the same effect of diminishing attendance and causing brothers to not attend to avoid the stress or atmosphere of conflict. Poor planning and execution of lodge events will also impact the moral of the brethren and their families. Ineffective communication within the lodge family is also a key contributor to chaos and greatly reduces any plans or ability to succeed. 
The leadership needs to be able to listen to the signals from within their hive to understand what is beneficial to the prosperous growth of the lodge and create a healthy culture founded on our ideals, beliefs, and tenets. Motivated leadership that is in tune with the brethren asks and then listens when creating their strategic plans and vision for the lodge. They align the culture of the lodge, whether it be family-oriented, lodge, or an academic lodge centered on research, to the creation of goals, and then creating the budgeted programs to support them. Apathetic leadership is only able to start the process, but never will follow through with it to completion. Without that critical follow-through and then feedback loop, the plans and programs that were started may never meet the desires of the brethren that they were meant to fulfill. As time goes on and the culture of the lodge develops and changes, an active leadership must keep pace and adjust their plans accordingly so that their lodge DNA is constantly evolving. It may be that a lodge was a family lodge 20 years ago. In the span of time, the children may have grown up and moved on, and young masons without children were raised and started to form the leadership of the lodge. The older members may be in conflict with new and fresh ideas because their view of the lodge is locked in time and not current to the new DNA of the lodge. This conflict is also a source of strife and division that can collapse a lodge. In that same way that there may be a generational gap, it may be that there can be a division between the brothers that have been in the lodge for many years and the newly initiated brothers where the new brothers are not welcomed or included into the planning and events. That environment can become stressful and end up driving the new brothers away. It is a focus on the healthy environment that creates a culture of inclusion and not one of exclusion or man drama. That focus on inclusion comes from the leadership of the lodge, but also from the brethren as a whole as they live the concept of who best can work and best agree. Bees communicate in a unique and effective way to coordinate for the collection of nectar, the distribution of the nectar in the hive, and to get inactive bees to forage. This is where the collective wisdom of the hive takes over and the bees are persuaded to take action. The first is when the bees that forage return to the hive and perform a dance that consists of a distinctive angle which indicates which direction to fly and goes on for a certain duration that indicates how far to fly. This dance is joined by others within the hive until they head to the exit and fly off to the identified location. They use the angle from the sun as indicated in the dance to navigate to the right location. It is this waggle dance communication that is performed by each returning bee that encourages more to join in and fly to their found food source of nectar or pollen. If there are too many bees foraging and not enough to receive and store the nectar, the bees perform a tremble dance. This is done by bees that return to the hive fully loaded and have no one to hand it off to. They travel the aisles of the hive, sending their message that more receivers are needed. They also are able to stop bees from performing their waggle dance to recruit more flyers. Foragers communicate to the hive that more foragers are needed by doing a shake dance. This dance will be done to awaken resting bees by shaking them. Once awakened, the bees are led by the waggle dance. All of this communication is being done in the dark of the hive. Three communication methods used by the bees align nicely with the thought of how masons can recognize each other. We also see that there is not one individual directing all activity, but several working together to guide the hive. The number of bees that join in the dance will indicate the importance of that activity. This is similar to the gaining of consensus within a lodge to make a change or engage in an activity. The hive also uses this collective wisdom when it decides when to produce another queen. This is done by the way the brood are fed by the young adult bees working in the nursery. Nurse bees eat the pollen that has been fermented into special cells within the hive and convert it into vitiligenin. This royal jelly, made from the nutrients excreted by the nurse bees, is used as food for the brood and for the queen. 
Here, eating this exclusively enables her to live two to three years, as opposed to the six-week lifespan of a typical worker. The brood are fed this for a few days, and then the cell is capped. If fed extensive amounts, the larvae will develop into a new queen. Bees feed the young a certain food made from the pollen that is allowed to ferment so that the bacteria can break it down to a protein-rich and digestible form. The bees that forage and gather the pollen and nectar consume honey for their sustenance because it provides the energy needed to fly out to the flowers and back. As we see that food is critical to the development of the different types of bees within the hive, we can think in terms of food when we describe the needs of our brethren within our lodge to nourish their hunger for knowledge, and we feed the new mason with our knowledge, culture, traditions, and ritual. Our candidate coaches, our brothers within the lodge, the mentors within our fraternity all serve that same role for the newly initiated entered apprentice. They pass on our knowledge, culture, traditions, and ritual from mouth to ear, creating new repositories and faithful breaths. If we are diligent and work unselfishly, as our bees teach us to emulate, we can nourish the Masonic growth and development of our brothers and our lodges. This education is rich in our symbols, and they start by learning of our tenets and of the cardinal virtues. They learn about the tools of their craft in measuring and breaking stone. As they pass into the next phase of their development, they learn about wisdom, strength, and beauty as they ascend to a higher level of knowledge. The lessons of architecture and the seven liberal arts allow the brother to develop further. The last stage in the specific process of Masonic transformation instructs the brother in the tool required for building and creating. All of the pieces are put together in the second section of the third degree and then further related in the following lecture. This foundation and initial nourishment establishes the new brother within our fraternity and provides him the strength and wisdom to start the next stage in his development. As the new Master Mason is free to travel the world, he now subsists on a different form of nourishment. He is driven by his internal desires to use his working tools within his lodge and within his community and is fed by his close relationships formed within his lodge. That mutual support and connectivity, like the network and lily work, strengthen and support the brother as he labors. As that brother moves to the next level of development, he is no longer a member of the hive, but a leader within it. The royal jelly for this young leader may be the mentoring of a past master, the attendance at leadership retreats, or by going to schools of instruction. Here they grow to new levels, to not only understand our ritual and its meaning, but to teach it to others and to become that mentor themselves. When there is overpopulation and the resource and weather conditions are prime, the hive will create new queen larvae in special section of the hive. The existing queen will then take roughly half of the workers and a bunch of drones and head out to find a new home. In this similar fashion, we can see that new lodges can be formed in a similar manner. When a group within finds that it is ready to be its own entity, it can petition to form a new lodge. This enables a lodge to grow and change based on the collective wisdom of the membership of the brethren. Working with collective leadership is a fundamental within a hive. Contrary to any popular belief, a hive is not led by a queen, but by the collective. One thought of leadership within a lodge is that the master is the only leader. He is responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen. Upon his abilities, the lodge will either be successful or languish. It is in this thought that we have the same misconception that the queen bee is the ruler and source of all knowledge within the hive. In actuality, the hive is led by the wisdom of the crowd, where there are no collective decisions made, but only the decisions that arise from thousands of workers working unselfishly together. This cooperation within the hive balances the functions of bees that forage for nectar and the bees that receive the nectar and process it into honey within the empty cells of the hive. This is balanced with the bees that are building new cells or tending to the queen or the young. 
All of this is done without anyone being in charge and is possible because all are working for the hive's best interest, not their own. That unselfish behavior is the key to driving every decision that promotes the well-being and success of the hive and supports the queen to produce the next generations. The great cathedrals built by our brethren were completed by men working unselfishly for the benefit of the whole, as the bees likewise labor. Our unselfish behavior in our lodges should be geared toward our lodges' success and our development within a Masonic community. The collective wisdom of a lodge executive committee allows for the release from a thought that the master has to be near superhuman for his year in the East. It is the strengths of each of us brought together as a leadership team that we can overcome our individual weaknesses. So now that we have reviewed several aspects of a beehive, from the feeding of the young to the way they communicate and manage the life cycle of a hive, what can be done within our lodges to keep them healthy, productive, and free from the potential of collapse? The first would be in the development of a lodge culture that is based upon our beliefs and tenets and is in line with the brethren collective wants and desires. Each lodge is different for these exact reasons. We all seek something as we journey through our lives in masonry and we will gravitate to those that are like-minded. Being present and contributing one's time, talent, and treasure to the craft will enable one's voice to be heard and taken into account. Another key aspect of sustaining our healthy hive of a lodge is to develop leaders that motivate, guide, provide vision, inspire, and plan to achieve their goals. These leaders can be mentored by local wisdom within our lodge, or the lodge can cross-pollinate with other lodges or external resources. They don't need to do it alone, as there are many other lodges within our jurisdiction, and they are all traveling down the same path. Lastly, as individuals, we can apply Freemasonry every day in such a way as we display our tenets and virtues so that everyone will know that we are Masons without ever having to say a word. In that silent but expressive way, like the bees communicating via a waggle dance, the brethren of our lodge and in our surrounding communities will understand what we do and how we contribute to the betterment of our society. Living our values will be the key to subduing our passions and improving ourselves in Masonry. It is fundamental to preserving our lodges as productive hives, prevents us from becoming useless drones, and it is really what we came here to do. The following article is from the January 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA, and is written by C. Bruce Hunter. The article is titled The Beehive. The beehive, though a significant symbol of the craft, lies outside the mainstream of Masonic icons. The beehive is a rather curious symbol, and it has always posed a problem for the craft. The problem does not lie in what the beehive symbolizes, industry and cooperation, two perfectly good Masonic virtues. The thing setting the beehive apart is its variance with the main categories of craft symbology. The first of these categories is a group of architectural objects, the square, compasses, level, etc. They come from the age of Gothic cathedrals and illustrate man's place in the universe by the working tools of operative masons. The other is a group of biblical symbols, Jacob's Ladder, King Solomon's Temple, etc. They tap more directly into the world's spiritual heritage and bring the fruits of ancient wisdom to the craft. Curiously, the beehive does not fit either category. Although it promotes cooperative labor, it is not really an architectural symbol. And while the Bible occasionally mentions milk and honey, that squarely qualifies the beehive as a biblical symbol. This places it among a small group of Masonic icons that lie outside the mainstream. So where did this peculiar item originate, and what does it have to do with Freemasonry? The answer may lie in an obscure piece of church symbology. The beehive has long been associated with St. Bernard of Clairvaux, 
representing the sweet eloquence for which he was justly famous. At first glance, St. Bernard seems far removed from the modern Masonic Lodge, but they are connected, albeit by a tenuous thread, and that thread extends all the way back to the early years of the Crusades. Shortly after the start of the 12th century, a French knight named Hugh de Payens approached Bernard, then serving as abbot at Clairvaux, France, for help in promoting in the order of knights he had just organized. The project grew from de Payens' grand vision of leading an armed force to patrol the road from Joppa to Jerusalem. In those days, many pilgrims made a heroic effort traveling to the Holy Land, only to die of thirst or fall prey to bandits on the last 50 kilometers of the journey. Hugh de Payen saw the need for protection on that final short leg of the pilgrimage, but he had only a handful of followers and no financial resources. To make his plan work, he needed official recognition from the church, money for munitions and supplies, and new recruits. To secure all these, he needed help from high places. That's where Abbot Bernard came in. When the issue was presented to him, he welcomed its challenge. He had always longed to be a crusading knight, and might have been, had it not been for his chronically poor health. While that aspiration still eluded him, as one of the most influential men in the church, he could now have the vicarious pleasure of sponsoring a band of knights. So he gave de Payens his complete support, using his eloquence to its fullest in arguing the knight's case to the church hierarchy. They naturally gave way to Bernard's words. The cause that he brought to their attention was certainly a righteous one, and his eloquent presentation spurred them to act quickly. The new order, now universally known as the Knights Templar, became one of the most famous organizations in the world. It held sway in both church and military circles for nearly 200 years. Even now, centuries after its demise, it remains a centerpiece in the romance of the Crusades. The details of the Templar story, their heroism and piety, later tainted by pride and corruption, their glorious rise and tragic fall, and the epic struggles that span their career dramatically combine the best and worst of the human condition. Vignettes of Templar history depict virtues to which everyone can aspire and lessons everyone should heed. The Templar heritage has been claimed by more than one fraternity. However, none of that would have happened if they had not got off to a good start. Surely it is no coincidence that the beehive, the emblem of Bernard's eloquence, the very key to the Templar's initial success, entered the symbology of the Masonic fraternity that centuries later would claim descent from the order. Of course, this is far from proof that Freemasonry descended from the Templars. At most, it shows that some long-forgotten Mason introduced the symbol to commemorate a legendary connection, which he himself might not have thought historically sound. But as the beehive is neither architectural nor biblical, we must look elsewhere for the basis of its association with the craft. In that regard, its subtle connection with St. Bernard provides a satisfying answer. It explains why the beehive belongs among the fraternity symbols, and his connection with the Templars shows that this curious symbol has to do with virtues that Masons have always held dear. The following article is from the Southern California Research Lodge, F&AM. The Beehive by C. Bruce Hunter, from The Square, England, for March 1998. The Beehive is a rather curious symbol, and it has always posed a problem for the craft. The problem doesn't lie in what the Beehive symbolizes, industry and cooperation, two perfectly good Masonic virtues. The thing that sets it apart is actually its variance with the main categories of craft symbology. The first of these categories is a group of architectural objects, the square, compasses, level, etc. They come from the age of Gothic cathedrals and illustrates man's place in the universe by tools of operative masons. 
the other is a group of biblical symbols, Jacob's Ladder, King Solomon's Temple, etc. They tap more directly into the world's spiritual heritage and bring the fruits of ancient wisdom to the craft. Curiously, the beehive does not fit either category. Although it promotes cooperative labor, it is not really an architectural symbol. And while the Bible occasionally mentions milk and honey, that scarcely qualifies the beehive as a biblical symbol. This places it among a small group of Masonic icons that lie outside the mainstream. So where did this peculiar item originate, and what does it have to do with Freemasonry? An obscure origin. The answer may lie in an obscure piece of church symbology. The beehive has long been associated with St. Bernard of Clairvaux, representing the eloquence for which he was justly famous. At first glance, St. Bernard seems far removed from the modern Masonic Lodge, but they are connected, albeit by a tenuous thread, and that thread extends all the way back to the early years of the Crusades. Shortly after the start of the 12th century, a French knight named Hugh de Payens approached Bernard, then serving as abbot of Clairvaux, for help in promoting an order of knights he had just organized. The project grew from de Payens' grand vision of leading an armed force to patrol the road from Joppa to Jerusalem. In those days, many pilgrims made a heroic effort, traveling to the Holy Land, only to die of thirst or fall prey to bandits in the last 50 kilometers of their journey. De Payen saw the need for protection on that final short leg of the pilgrimage, but he had only a handful of followers and no financial resources. To make his plan work, he needed official recognition from the church, money for munitions and supplies, and new recruits. To secure all these, he needed help from high places. That's where Abbot Bernard came in. When the issue was presented to him, he welcomed its challenge. He had always longed to be a crusading knight, and might have been had it not been for his chronically poor health. While that aspiration still eluded him, as one of the most influential men in the church, he could now have the vicarious pleasure of sponsoring a band of knights. So he gave de Payens his complete support, using his eloquence to its fullest in arguing the knight's case to the church hierarchy. They naturally gave weight to Bernard's words. The cause he brought to their attention was clearly a righteous one, and his eloquent presentation spurred them to act quickly. Within two years, de Payens had a monastic rule for his knightly order, and that made it official. Bernard's support also gave him a leg up in his efforts to raise funds and attract recruits. The new order, now universally known as the Knights Templar, became one of the most famous organizations in the world. It held sway in both church and military circles for nearly 200 years. Even now, centuries after its demise, it remains a centerpiece in the romance of the Crusades. A Lasting Legacy The details of the Templar's story, their heroism and piety, later tainted by pride and corruption, their glorious rise and tragic fall, and the epic struggles that span their career, dramatically combined the best and worst of the human condition. Vignettes of Templar history depict virtues to which everyone can aspire and lessons everyone should heed. Theirs is a heritage more than one fraternity has claimed. However, none of that would have happened if they had not got off to a good start. Surely it is no coincidence that the emblem of Bernard's eloquence, the very key to the Templar's initial success, entered the symbology of a fraternity that centuries later would claim descent from the order. Not exactly proof. Of course, this is far from proof that Freemasonry descended from the Templars. At most, it shows that some long-forgotten Mason introduced the symbol to commemorate a legendary connection, which he himself might not have thought historically sound. But as the beehive is neither architectural nor biblical, we must look elsewhere for the basis of its association with the craft. In that regard, its subtle connection with St. Bernard provides a satisfying answer. 
It explains why the beehive belongs among the fraternity symbols, and his connection with the Templars shows what this curious symbol has to do with virtues that Masons have always held dear. And then we have an editor's note stating, As an interesting addition to the above articles, there is a degree within the Holy Royal Arch Knight Templar Priests known as the Master of the Blue or Knight of Solomon. The symbol of this degree is the beehive, and it contains a legend woven around the Queen of Sheba, King Solomon, and a beehive. The fact that this is a chivalric degree is, in my opinion, significant. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.